You're listening to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim Nidell. Let's go back in time when turtles roam the sewers of New York. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror, the And knowing was half the battle. Yo, yo! It's time for Saturday Morning Rewind. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Tim Nadell, and welcome to another episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. Every now and then, a great cartoon comes along that changes the world of animation completely. There are a lot of great cartoons from the 90s, but one of the best cartoons that come out of that generation was, without a doubt, Animaniacs, which starred Rob Paulson as Yakko, Get out, everybody. Jess Harnell as Wacko, and Tress McNeil as Dot. Bye. I'm happy to say that I was able to grab Jess Harnell for 20 minutes to talk about Animaniacs, his band Rock Sugar, and a little bit about the Looney Tunes show and his involvement in the Splash Mountain and uh, Roger Rabbit ride at Disneyland. But before I play the interview, in every episode I give away a prize to one lucky listener. This episode I'm giving away Volume 3 of Animaniacs on DVD. That's five discs, brand new. I'm giving you some retro Animaniacs tattooed, brand new, sealed in a package. Let's see what year these came out. They came out in 1995. And also a Wacko McDonald's Happy Meal toy. Brand new, sealed in the little baggie that it came in originally in 1993. So you will receive all those three amazing gifts. All you got to do is go to my website at hitrockbottom.org slash saturdaymorningrewind.html. And on the left-hand side there, you'll see the contest form. All you have to do is fill that out, and there's a secret word you got to put in there, and that secret word for this episode is going to be Animaniacs. Just type in Animaniacs. I don't care if you misspell it. That's fine. I will be picking one lucky winner on August 31st of 2013 this year, and you will be notified via email September 1st. So good luck. And now here's my interview with the great Jess Harnell. How you doing today? Good, 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 man. Thanks for vibing with my crazy schedule and changing things <laughs> around. This is just how it goes. You're a rock star, man. You can do whatever you want. Ah, uh, hell, dude. I don't know. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a guy in a car right now on the freeway. That's what I am. There you go. <laughs> Okay, I have 20 minutes with you, so I'm not going to waste a single second with it, so let's get started, shall we? So I was, I was actually doing some research today, and I found out three things that I did not know about you until today. Okay, first good thing, luck with this. <laughs> first thing, I did not know that you actually voiced Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, that was my first, uh, my first big thing, and actually what happened was I began, I, I got lucky because uh, the guy who was doing the music for Splash Mountain at the Disney Parks was a friend of mine that I knew from doing singing stuff, and he said, hey, I know you do these crazy voices, man, you want to audition, I can get you an audition to be some of the voices on that ride, and I said, oh, cool, because I'd love that, I'd love to go to Disneyland and hear my voice on something, and uh, I went in and I auditioned, and I ended up getting Bear Rabbit, Bear Bear, and a Bear Animal, and Bear Alligator, and Bear Mailbox, or whatever, <laughs> I got all these characters on the Right, so it was great, and I went back to singing. A year later, they called me to do the one for the Florida Park, and I met Rick Dempsey, who's the head of Disney Character Voices, and he said, uh, "Hey, you know, uh, we're having some problems with some Roger Rabbit stuff, and could you do that?" And I said, "I don't know, man. I, I can, I can try." And I went home and I watched the movie, and I went, "Oh my Jesus! I'm not this thing. I'm this thing, and all I was doing that it was super 
so I, I started doing Roger Rabbit, you know. So that was my first uh, non-Disney Park related thing. It was pretty great, man. That's, that's pretty awesome. I, yeah, I thought for sure that uh, uh, Charles Fleischer was, was Roger the whole time. Oh, he did, he did the uh, the movie and the shorts and stuff like that. But I've done a lot of other stuff. I've done like parades, and talking toys, and various shows and ice capades and this and that, the other thing. And you know, who knows? It's been a while, but that was definitely my first kind of other than the ride, but my first kind of big thing, and I was really excited about it. So it was a nice way to start, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely. We're actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually taking my kids there again this summer, so I gotta make sure to check your voice out and try to hear your little your your twist to it. Oh, heck yeah, man. I'm also, I mean, if you're going, are you going to Disneyland or Disney World? Land. Oh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm Marlin on the uh, Finding Nemo ride. I did the Albert Brooks voice. For oh, that. nice. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm Prince Charming on some Cinderella stuff. And uh, gosh, man, some other things too, but uh, it's on a blank right now. But that's enough for you to start it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the cool thing about voiceover, Tim, you know, is that you can you can literally go from doing animal noises and then to a war video game and then to announcing America's funniest home videos and nobody would ever <laughs> nobody would ever connect the dots between them all, but you're only limited in voiceover by what you can do locally, which yeah. is so cool if you get considered for so many jobs that an on camera person would never be considered for because you're only gonna fit to the box that you look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was the second thing I didn't know you did. I did not know you were the voice of America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, man, for like 13, 14 years now. And it's like, it's such a groove, man. That's like, it, it, it's such a wonderful show, first of all, because, you know, you, you see literally grandparents watching it with their kids who are watching it with their kids. And it's like, it's cross-generational. It's funny. You know, and it's just such a cool thing. I love the people. I go in there. I work for like seven minutes, and I talk to them for like twenty minutes, and then I go out some Chinese food. It's awesome. And like uh, as the host of, uh, of America's Funniest Videos, Tom Bergeron, as he, as he said to me once, he goes, "Yes, as long as people keep hitting each other in the nuts, we're going to have a show." So that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I've grown up on that show. You know, good old Bob Saget days. Oh yeah, man. I think did I do one Saget thing? I don't know. I know I did Daisy Fuentes. Oh yeah, yeah. Me. But I think I think I came in right after Saget uh, stopped doing it. But funny guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what did you do on Splash Mountain besides those? Did you do all the um, the singing voices too? Oh sure, I did all the bear rabbit singing and all the uh, a lot of the choral stuff. The uh, you know how do you do and all that stuff. I sang a lot of that, and I did uh the, like I said the bear this the bear that. It's always fun when I go on that ride because. They had me cover so many characters that as I'm going through it, you know, you hear something different every time. You're like, hey, wait a minute, that was me. But by the time you realize that, oh, I'm the vultures, too. There's these vultures yeah, yeah. sitting at the bottom when you, before you go up to the like, top of the hill and they're going, oh, red rabbit, it's dropping me. <laughs> and that's me, too. So, you know, <laughs> it's a little of everything, man. That is awesome. <laughs> that's cool. And so how, let's start in the beginning. How did you step into the, the world of voice acting? Uh, well, you know, it 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 happened kind of organically, man. I was I was a singer, and uh, I mean, I still am a singer. And and I I for my first demo tape that I made as a singer, I did "We Are the World," that song in the '80s that had like 40 people singing oh, yeah, on it. Yeah. And I imitated everybody's voice. That was my demo tape as a singer, and it was cool because it was like clever marketing, and it got noticed. And I remember saying to my best buddy that even if it was terrible. I felt like it would still get attention. And fortunately, I don't think it turned out that terrible. And I started singing a lot of commercials for, you know, Coke and Reebok and McDonald's and Toyota and all these big accounts. And I would be on the mic, and just because I'm sort of hyper and I have ADD, I would start reading the voiceover copies sometimes. And these producers would go, hey, you know, you sound pretty good. Why don't we let you take a crack at that? And I was like, okay. 
and I'd start reading voiceover copy, but it never occurred to me. I didn't know how the industry worked. I didn't know about agents and all that stuff. And, uh, I was just doing it on things that I sang. And then, as I mentioned before, this guy who I sang for, for some TV shows and stuff, I used a lot of singing imitation. These things called satellites, where you imitate singers and you try to, they have to, they have somebody imitate the song rather than having to pay to use the actual record. I did hundreds of those things. And this guy that I sang for, he was like, hey, I'm doing this ride for Disney. You want to take a crack at it? And that's where the whole thing started. And God bless Rick Dempsey, man, because uh, the guy from Disney Character Voices, because what he did, after I had done a bunch of Roger Rabbit stuff, he actually wrote a letter about me that he forwarded to a lot of the top agencies in town, you know, saying, hey, this guy is, you know, serious, and if you don't sign it, you're going to regret it, which is a huge thing to get. I didn't even realize back then how, how big a thing to get that was. And so I literally was being taken to lunch by, like, the top agencies in Los Angeles. And, you know, I didn't know what a big deal that was. I was just happy that somebody was buying me lunch. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, man. But that's, that's the way it came out, man. Now, how did Wacko come about? How did you get into that? What was the audition like? All that kind of stuff. Well, the Wacko thing came about because early on, it was very early on in my career, uh, they sent to my agency, I got a call, and said, hey, you want to come in here and read because you've got this show, and Steven Spielberg, Warner Brothers show, it's going to be big. And I said, okay. And I went down, they had like 30 characters, and they said, okay, you can read five. So I'm looking through them, and I just like the name Wacko. I thought, well, that you know, that can't, that's not gonna suck. I'm like, it's gotta be fun. His name's Wacko. Um, and I started messing around, and, I, and my original audition for him was nothing like what he turned out to be. It was just some sort of crazy, zany, high-pitched cartoon voice. Huh. But I guess it was good enough to get me a, a callback. And uh, when I did the callback, they were they were kind of they spent more time with me, and they were like, okay, uh, let's try this, let's try that. And then they were like, now you do impressions. And I said, yeah. And they said, why don't we try some impressions? I said, okay. And the first one that we did, I, I'll never forget, it was Elvis, which is really funny because if it had gone that way, what a different character would have been. Instead of, hello, that's a man. Totally different. So uh, so I, I did Elvis, and then they said, what about the Beatles? My, my snappy retort was, which one? And because they sound different, you know? And I think what we, we did was, you know, he sounded so just like, I think it was John really, Robert John, his voice. And then when they showed me a character picture of him, I realized he was very small. So I mean, it's like, well, I'm a little bit more pinched, you know, and kind of put it up in my head a little bit more, and this is how it all came about. You know? So he's really sort of like a beetle on helium. He's like a billion. <laughs> and that's how that happened. And then what was great, man, is I think, you know, it just goes to show you, never be afraid to go out on a limb and do something crazy, because apparently, you know, when they place the top choices for Wacko with Mr. Spielberg, uh, you know, I was the only one who had done anything remotely like that. I think everybody else just sort of went the obvious route, which I went to yeah. on my initial audition, which was, let's come up with the wackiest voice you can for this wacko guy. And he was listening to it, and all of a sudden, you know, he hears this little beetle guy going, ah, you know, fine. And he went, oh, that's it. Because he laughed, and he went, that's funny, I like to do that. And I, I think that the, the fact that wacko, for some reason, was never bummed with the other two were American. <laughs> I think he uh-huh. like that, you know. But that's also been a staple of my you know, my work is I always try to, you know, I'll give them one audition the way I think they want it and give them one that I don't think anybody else is going to do. Yeah. And probably most the people who don't know me probably get my stuff and go, this guy's insane. And other people probably get it. Oh, I like, <laughs> I like that spirit. You know? Now, do you know of anybody else who was up for the role of Wacko? Oh, everybody was up for it. You know, it's a goodness. It's like, it's, and that's not to say I'm so awesome that I got it. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was this huge casting. 
it's one of those ones that everybody grows up on, and believe me, I mean, I grow up on plenty of stuff I don't get. We all do, you know. But that's the nice thing about voiceover is you find that when you hit the sort of, you know, upper echelon of the people that do it, and you, you first of all, you all know each other because you all inevitably work together a lot. And there's a high level of respect, first of all, and a high level of admiration. Um, it's a sort of in stark contrast to on-camera. And I think the reason for that is on-camera folks you know, they're so territorial because they, they are only considered for the role that they sort of look like. They're not going to get considered for a role outside their age range or outside what they look like. Um, so, you know, they're very like, you know, my, my, my. They, they watch their jobs very carefully and they don't want anybody else to get a lead on it. Whereas with voiceover, you know, honest to goodness, man, I think we've all turned each other on the word because people call and go, hey, Jess, can you do such and such? And I'm like, yeah, I can sort of do it, but you know who does it better than me? And you send it their way, and then they send it your way, and everybody just really, you know, really likes each other. Now, before we go talk a little bit about Rock Sugar, can I hear just a little bit of Tosh Gopher? Tosh Gopher, uh, oh, we're studying you, Tosh. Oh, no, after you. Oh, I am just so after you. I mean, what does that always used to play him? He's very sexually ambiguous, too. I love that character. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a great little character. <laughs> I, I do that with Robbie Paulson. Yep. You know, so like, how cool is it that we get to uh, reunite Riff again? And it's nice, too, because when we're doing that, I don't know, is that show still going? Yeah, it is. Oh, good. Well, when we do it, they basically just sort of turn on the mics. You know what I mean? They sort of like, okay, guys, go and do it. You know, and, and you know, we, we, we improv and we have fun. And our chemistry is so good together because we know each other so well. It's, it's just really fun. Any chance I get to work with it. I mean, there's just monsters in this business, you know, and it's like I, I hesitate to name names because I know I'll forget some, but there are such talented people, you know, that, that you sit there and you just like, I'm perpetually in awe of these people and what they do. And it's like I just sit there in those rooms and you're, wow, man, you know, because there's such talent. All right, let's let's talk about um, the other side of you, the, the rock star deep inside, and let's talk about rock sugar. How crazy is that, dude? Well, for those of your listeners who haven't yet checked it out, you know, I suggest that if you have a second of you know, a minute or two, go to YouTube and put in Rock Sugar, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand this much more clearly. But the funny thing about it, man, is that, you know, I've always been in bands. I've sang in bands my whole life. I look like I'm a rock guy. Um, you know, and, and people are always, you know, I get good tables at restaurants. Everybody thinks I'm a Jeff Leopard or something. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't complain about it. But And it's also a good thing for marketing, actually, because the way I look, I'm pretty much the only person in our industry that looks like I do. So people remember me. Oh, yeah. I've actually, I've actually found that helps me get work because huh. I'll, 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 I'll find out, you know, I've been hired for some job. I feel I don't really know that well. I'll say, so why'd you hire me? What was it? And they'll say, well, man, you know, we got down to the final four people and it's like 6.30 at night, all tired. And we kept back and forth and back and forth. And finally somebody said, get that guy with the long hair, you know? And, and, that's why I got the job. But in answer, in answer to your question, so it's no money in my pocket, thank God. But um, in answer to your question, I've always had bands, and I've always been fascinated by the fact that, you know, people who think that, you know, musicians uh, make a lot of money are right to an extent, but only to a very small extent. Because to make a lot of money, you got to be an Aerosmith or a Guns N' Roses or an ACDC or something like that. Uh, because below that line, you're basically getting lied to by record company all this kind of underhanded stuff. I mean, I used to be a band that were among the most popular here in Los Angeles. We would sell out routinely to Roxy. And, uh, you know, at the end of the night, you'd find yourself splitting after selling it out with the big bar tab and all this other stuff. You'd be splitting $1,000 with three other band members, a road crew, a truck rental, light and sound, and you'd walk home with, like, $110 in your pocket. And I just thought, this is crazy. Can you, you know, 
through all this work, I mean, like if you totaled out, it was probably like a dollar an hour or two dollars an hour. And I'm like, there's got to be a way to actually do this and, and have it be successful monetarily. And, have, and one day I just got this thought and I thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if some quintessential 80s hair metal band um, got stuck on a desert island for 20 years with none of the pop records and they were basically forced to pop music for 20 years and then they got rescued. And they went back to be the band. I said, what would that sound like? And I, I told my best buddy, Chuck Duran, who not a few months ago, he was probably the best producer of demos, voiceover demos in the world. In any event, he, he, he's my guitar player as well as my best buddy. And I told him about this. He said, oh, that's really cool. Man. And I said, yeah, like, what if we took, like, all the coolest metal riffs from the 80s and then I sang pop songs from the 80s over the metal riffs? And the first thing he came back to me with was Metallica's Inner Sandman, Cross the journeys, don't stop believing, and it turned into a song called "Don't Stop the Sandman." And we put it up online, got hundreds of thousands of hits. Now it's had like well over a million hits. Um, and immediately we went from playing nowhere to opening up for ACDC and opening wow. up for Aerosmith and opening up for Linkin Park and Def Leppard and Poison and you name it. I mean, we opened for everybody and we play arenas. We played the biggest crowd we played for was like a hundred thousand people in one shot. And it's just so funny to me. Because, you know, you beat your head against the wall all your life, writing songs and trying and pushing and hoping, and then you come up with a goofy little idea. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, being too self-deprecating. It's well executed. I think if your listeners go and check it out, you'll find that after you laugh at it, you kind of go, this is really good. <laughs> like, because we really tried to make it sound huge and do it with the ultimate respect. And in every song, I'm trying to imitate the singer, whether it's Keith Berry or Axl Rose or you know, Brian Adams or whoever it is that I do it. Um, so it, it sounds really good, but we understand it's also intrinsically ridiculous to be singing a Madonna song over ACDC. <laughs> but what can I tell you? It, it, it works and it makes a lot of people happy and we get to play shows that never probably gotten played. Only like probably half of 1% of bands that are going to be playing shows. And it's just because it's an entertaining concept. So I encourage your listeners who want to be in a band to go figure out something. I mean, Kiss did something. Look at that. Then you got a bunch of guys that said, hey, let's put up platform shoes and dress up like a monster and go see what happens. <laughs> and, and, you know, $200 million later, they're kids. Uh-huh. You know, one of my favorite one of my favorite songs of the year is Heaven in Heaven. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a combination. We always try to be clever with the titles. You know, as much as that, that's a combination of... The Brian Adams, you know, prom ballad Heaven <laughs> with the Warrens hair metal anthem ballad from the eighties also called Heaven, so you get Heaven and Heaven. I think my favorite title though for one of our songs has to be uh Dreaming of a Whole Lot of Breakfast. And I know you're wondering you're probably gonna be wondering what the hell is that? Well what that is, is it Aerosmith Dream On combined with Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love and Super Tramps Breakfast in America and right now the next question is Super Tramps Breakfast in America. I don't know that song. Yes you do. Because that's the song that goes, uh, take a look at my girlfriend, she's the only one I got. It's that song. Okay. That. So <laughs> nice. So it's called Dreaming of a Whole Lot of Breakfast. Now let me ask you, is it wrong that I like Brian Adams? No, it's not wrong. I like Brian Adams too. In fact, you know what, man? It all came down to with Rock Sugar. I think the reason that it works as well as it does him is because we were very, very serious about picking good songs. We're like, we're only okay. Good song. Like the one rule that my guitar player practically posted on the wall was no love shack. Because I kept saying, love shack's really stupid. He's like, love shack's kind of a stupid song. No disrespect to me, but we tried to pick the songs that are really well structured, well written, catchy songs. Like you know, 
one of the one other one we have that's really good, um, it's called Straight to Rock City, and it's a cross between Kisses, Detroit Rock City, and Paul I Have Duel, straight up. And I mean, say what you will about Miss Abdul, but that's actually a really good song, straight up. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. fact, it's got really, really good song structure and good melodies and stuff like that. And hell, man, you put that together with Kid, and you know, as Paul Stanley would say, it's like, you know, it's fantastic because it's like something's for everybody. It's terrific. It's Kid. You know, so, so it's good, man. It, it works, and if it works, you can't argue. Now, I believe I saw somewhere that you are, were you an Eagles fan or a Don Henley fan? Oh, a very big Don Henley fan. Yeah, I, I, I always figured it as a compliment. I, I, vocally, I always got compared to Steve Perry by the bit for Journey, but I always loved what people said and said they remember the Don Henley and Steve Perry. Terrific, terrific singing. And, you know, the singing thing has really helped me in voiceover, too, too, because it enables you, in terms of doing impressions, you relate it to music. When you can relate it to music, it's like, okay, here's my note. That's my note. That's my note. And, and it's much easier to kind of give them what they want, you know. And also, it helps because if you're in a session, you can't find what the director's looking to give you. If he then says, instead of saying, you know, uh, what do you want to do about that? He goes, what do you want to do about that? You think about it musically. You go, ba 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 And you make it music. And then the next thing you know, you can give them what they want. Says everybody. Hmm. And listen, your questions were great. Like I said, I've heard great things about you and your podcast. I wish you nothing but luck in the future. And if I can help you out again, let me know. I actually made a, a little mashup video of Wacko singing your song, so I'll have to tweet oh, that to oh, you. <laughs> oh, dude, you got you. Now, now just be forewarned. I'm not the best tweeter in the world. Tara, <laughs> my buddy Tara Strong, it's just that I joined Twitter and she signed me up, but I've never used it. Even though I guess I have a bunch of followers, and I'm sorry if folks even tweet me. Um, what I was going to say is, when you do send me the info, when this thing is up and running, I, I, I can't send it, I'll tweet it, but what I will do is I will put it on the Rock Sugar Facebook, and by the way, if, if the folks listening haven't yet done so, please go to the Rock Sugar Facebook page and say hi. Um, it'll have our show dates on there and stuff like that. You can come, come to see us as well as checking out videos on YouTube. And when you tell me this thing is ready, I will put a post up about it and hopefully try some listening to that. Well, that is totally awesome. I really do appreciate that. And you guys do run a very great Facebook page, by the way. Oh, thank you, man. Well, that's all down there. It's this wonderful lady named Faith Walker. She runs it. She does a ah. great, great job. But I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you uh, you wanting to talk to me, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, can you close the podcast real quick as Wacko? Okay, let's see. Um, hey, everybody, this is Wacko. I just want to say I had a great time on Saturday Morning Rewind. The show's so nice, you can't wait to rewind it and hear it again. See you later. Thanks again for checking out Saturday Morning Rewind. I really do appreciate it. Remember to sign up for our giveaway contest that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Just go to hitrockbottom.org slash saturdaymorningrewind.html and fill out a little survey on the left-hand side using the secret word that I used earlier in this podcast episode. And while you're there, check out the Saturday Morning Rewind merchandise you can buy. And also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. All the links are right there on the podcast page. And also don't forget to rate me on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Here's a quick tease for the next episode. It would take nine months to reach her. The professor may not have nine hours. Thanks again. See you next time.